Welcome to Key 3 Educators, helping you excel as a Christian school leader, educator, or homeschooler as you outfit students to learn themselves, love God, and live connected. Here's your host, Stephanie Smith. Welcome to Key 3 Educators. I'm delighted that you are here today. We're going to be diving in how you can make history come alive in your classroom. Today's episode is specifically geared for teachers of high school or middle school students. If you are a social studies teacher of younger students, you can adapt some of these for your own classroom, or you can file them away because you might be teaching at a later grade in the future, or you can definitely share these with a colleague. Now, while I am not a particular geek about history, I do love learning about history, and I always have. And I credit that primarily to my mother who loved history and read so many stories of history. I did have some phenomenal teachers along the way, including one, Mr. Ross, who was my social studies history teacher in high school. And he had a way of making history come alive. Sadly, I know so many people who don't enjoy history because they had such a poor experience with it as students. And what a tragedy! Because it's not just that we need to learn history so that we don't repeat mistakes from history. History is just a collection of stories. And at the individual level, being able to understand how other people have faced obstacles, how other people solved problems and made inventions, how they got through difficult times, whether they were natural disasters or they were personal circumstances. All of us need to have the encouragement and the wisdom that can come from those stories. And history is a phenomenal way that we can avail ourselves of wisdom to apply in our own lives. Before we dive in, I want to encourage you. Hey, would you just leave a rating and a review for this podcast? Every time you do that, it helps to increase the chances for other people to be able to find this resource. And educators today need all the encouragement that they can get. And so sharing this podcast is a way to just pay it forward and help your colleagues, not just here in the States, but even around the world. Let's get ready to dive in. My first recommendation is get rid of the traditional textbook. Okay, okay. I know some of you are like, I would love to do that, but there is no way I can do that in my school system. Okay, stick with me. We'll, we'll talk about maybe how you can do some workarounds. Some of you are panicked by that. What do you mean get rid of a traditional textbook? That's the way that history's taught. That's the way it has to go. And here's where I want you to be willing to set down your preconceived ideas and even maybe years of experience and be able to take a fresh look at why and how we best learn. It has shown throughout history that what sticks with people are stories, not a bunch of statistics and data that's just all compiled and thrown together in some sort of stew. I mean, when was the last time that you were out to dinner with friends or sitting around a campfire and somebody said, oh, you've just got to wait. You're not going to believe this. I have a phenomenal statistic that I want to share with you. Okay, I get that there can be times for that. 
But it pales in comparison to the number of times that somebody says, oh, let me tell you about this story, something that I experienced or I read or I listened to. Stories stick because they align with how the brain actually works. This isn't just a matter of cultural preference. This is a matter of our biological design. We are wired for story. We are wired to tell stories and we are wired to hear stories that they impact us and they shape us and they give us wisdom and guidance and direction. You traditional history textbooks tell stories. They're written in in the most boring manner, frankly. They're written with sentence structures that are typically subject, verb, subject, verb, subject, verb. So-and-so did this, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And we think that by throwing all of this information together, somehow students are going to draw connections between this, this, and that. And even more importantly, that they're going to care. I love history, but I find most history textbooks boring as all get out. Why would I expect students to find them fascinating and interesting? And if you're thinking, okay, but since when do students need to be fascinated and really excited about something? I mean, that's nice when it happens, but we can't make that our expectation. Why not? Isn't that the purpose of education, which is to inspire people to learn? Now, I get it. I have stood in front of classrooms where I've gotten the dead fish look just as much as anybody else has, but I refuse to accept that just because something is the norm, that that makes it healthy. We don't want to measure health by what is typical or what we've grown accustomed to. We want to measure health by the outcomes. And if the outcomes are students who just get through a class, they check it off the list, they say, whew, got that requirement done. Okay, I memorized those dates. I regurgitated that information. Can we please move on now? We have failed our students. They haven't failed us by not coming to what's boring material, by being bored. We have failed them when we present material that's in a boring way, and then they're just responding to that. They're just mirroring that back to us. If at all possible, get rid of your history textbooks and instead search for living books. I firmly believe that more students would walk away with knowledge that they retain and carry with them into adulthood that shapes their lives if they spent the year reading a whole collection of living books than they would just working their way through one very impressive looking but very boring collection of data. Okay, I know some of you are saying, I would love to do that, but there is no way that I can get rid of the history textbook. Here's what I would suggest doing. Cut out as much of it as you possibly can and replace it with living books as well as other resources. One of the video series that I use, which students love, was the series, The Men Who Built America. I had students who came back the previous year just to ask the other class, oh, have you guys watched that video series yet? It brought things to life. It made it real. And I can guarantee you that there's information from that that they carried beyond their test and they even carried beyond that particular class time. 
So if you can get rid of the textbook entirely, get rid of as much of it as you can and just use it basically to fill in where you have to have something like that. Don't make it the core of your course. I'm convinced that a lot of people who put the textbooks together never actually have to teach the material in a classroom because it doesn't work. I've reviewed state standards for scope and sequence of curriculum, and it is absolutely absurd and laughable how ridiculous that they are. Now, I will tell you, they look great on paper. It looks incredibly impressive, but for somebody who's actually in the classroom, it's ridiculous. For example, you might have something that says, Students will evaluate the socioeconomic and political impact that occurred in the United States with the great waves of immigration in the late 1800s. Students will also assess how this impacted family dynamics, changes in cultural expectations, how it impacted housing, and they will trace the modes of thought of people forward and how that impacted the rise of the growth of cities and how that eventually led to the development of suburbs as people moved out. And, and the time allocated for all of this is, oh, in three days, of course. Don't be fooled or feel overwhelmed by ridiculous expectations of what students are actually going to do because somebody somewhere wrote it down who actually never had to really teach it in a classroom. So number one, get rid of anything that's just boring and instead bring in as many story-rich materials as you can. Number two, provide students with an opportunity to showcase their knowledge and their learning beyond just taking a standard written test. Now, I get you may have to do that in order to meet different requirements for your school. So I'm not saying that you just have to throw those out entirely. But even those can be structured in a way that they actually serve a real purpose of retaining information, not just regurgitating it. So what are some things that you can do to give hands-on application? I'm going to just throw out some ideas. Many of these are things that I've done as a teacher. but I've also called these from other people who have some great ideas and resources that they've used. Make the learning as multi-sensory as possible. Make the foods that people would have eaten at that time as much as you can. If students can come in with costumes or clothing, or you come in with a costume or clothing of a certain time period as much as you can. I understand that teens can kind of roll their eyes and go, oh, wow, wow, this, this is ridiculous. But you know what? If everybody has to do it, well, everybody can be equally chagrined. Try to talk about what people would have heard, what, what the sounds of life would have been, what would have been different in terms of what they saw when, when they went out into the world in different time periods. One of the things I did one year is we were teaching about the people who came across on the Mayflower and the other ships. And they were so cramped and crowded. And so one of the things that students did during this particular lesson was they sat under their desks. I understand that you have to be sensitive to different body types and to any types of physical 
issues that children have. So you don't want this to be something that ever would hurt a child physically or or put them in a position that would be very embarrassing to them. So you do want to be mindful of that. But if at all possible, even if it's for five or 10 minutes, to have them experience just for a little while, what would it be like to be in this kind of cramped position? Because they had about as much space under their desk as somebody would have had in the whole of the Mayflower ship, for example. Another thing that you can encourage is healthy debate. Set students up, whether in individuals or in small groups, and have them role play different people and people groups. This doesn't mean that they always get to pick who they want to be. One of the things you can do is to assign them to one side of an issue, and then they have to learn to debate the issue from the other side. Even if it's what they don't personally agree with, it's a great exercise in learning how to step into somebody else's shoes and to think about something from someone else's perspective. And couldn't we all benefit from having a world where people were a little bit more skilled in doing that? Take students on field trips. There are so many rich museums and historical places, including historical reactments. Don't just keep history contained inside of a classroom. As much as you possibly can, get students out to experience in a tactile way different parts of history. Also, invite people in. If you're covering a historical time period where you have people who live during that time period, have them come in and tell their stories. Give the opportunity for students to talk to them. What was it like to serve in the military during that war? What was it like to grow up during that time period? Give them the opportunity for personal engagement with people who actually lived during those time periods. Movies can be powerful stories that have a compelling impact on students so that they really personalize what different time periods were like. Sure, there's boring movies, but there are some fantastic documentaries as well as live action movies. And again, if the purpose is for students to not just memorize information, but to internalize knowledge and wisdom, movies can be a phenomenal way to do that. So often because we see movies as entertainment, we can degrade their value, but there's nothing any more sacred about print in a book than there is about actors on a screen. So go back and always identify what's my point here? What are we trying to learn? And what's the best way to be able to accomplish that? And how can I bring in a multifaceted approach so students aren't just watching movies, they're not just reading from a book, but they're learning from as many different sources and as many different avenues as possible. We have so many resources available to us today. You want to take full advantage of all of those. Another recommendation is give students the opportunity to showcase their work. You know, students do so much work on paper or on screens, and then it gets graded and it just disappears. It goes away. So many things that fill up notebooks, and at the end of the year, where do they go? They go in the trash. 
Maybe a parent sticks them in a box and a student never sees it again. And they've done all this work and the only person who ever really sees it is a teacher and maybe a parent. Instead, think of ways that students can demonstrate their knowledge outside of the classroom. One of the events that we would have at the end of the year with some of the history classes that I taught was called Night at the Museum. Yes, it was a takeoff from the movies. But what we did was students would work on a history project throughout the, throughout the year or throughout a semester. And it had to relate to the time period that we were studying. But they had very open parameters about what they could choose to work on. And they were to construct something, a museum exhibit, if you will. And then at the end of the year, we had an event. We invited people in from the community. And they set up their exhibits in, in the gym, and everybody had to man their station. And as people came through, just like you would in a museum, and looked at the exhibits, the students were there to talk about and answer questions about their exhibit. Now, don't get me wrong. Every year when I told students about this, I got the same kind of response. Oh, I don't want to do that. That sounds terrible. There were a few students who, who were enthusiastic about it, but by and large, students in middle school and high school aren't always excited about talking about their projects with total random strangers. But here again, everybody had the same level playing field. Everybody was going to have to do it. And you know what? Every single year, even those students who groused about it repeatedly ended up enjoying it, and they learned something about themselves. They learned they were capable of more than they thought they were, not just in the exhibits that they created, but they were capable of being more articulate, more engaged with people that they knew and didn't know, and more confident in being able to step into a new arena. And I will tell you that they came up with some impressive projects. We had giant catapults. We had tanks. We had complicated models. We had amazing art because students weren't just going to hand it to me. They were going to put it on display for other people. And there's something about kids and adolescents that they want to show up well in the world. And it gave them an opportunity to show the world something that they had personally created. It wasn't assigned to them. Now, yes, they had to have their project approved, but they had a wide range of things that they could choose from. Another activity that we did one year was we were studying ancient history, and we got to the end of the year, and we were wrapping up with the study of ancient Rome. Well, it lent itself beautifully to having a mock television station with the acronym SPQR. And I'm sorry for those of you who are really skilled in Latin here, I'm probably going to butcher this. And so I just apologize ahead of time, but I do know what it stands for. So excuse the pronunciation, that's not my forte. The SPQR was a important saying in ancient Rome, which was the Senatus Populesque, the Romanists, the Senate and the people of Rome. 
So we had television station SPQR. And as we worked through the study of ancient Rome, students were divided into different teams. And each team had a certain assignment that they had a lot of flexibility in how they carried that out. And the assignments were divided up week by week according to time periods. So one week it was from this year to this year. And in that time, each team had to come up with a story that they were going to present for television station SPQR. And the kids were so creative in what they came up with. They would do mock interviews where someone was interviewing a gladiator in a fight. Someone else would do a weather forecast and then talk about natural weather forces that had triggered volcanoes or earthquakes or natural disasters in different parts of Rome. And these all had to be true. That This wasn't things that they just made up. They had to do the research to find out about real people, real events, and then they had the liberty to take those historical events and people and set them in more modern times and put them on television. They came up with costumes. They wrote the scripts. Students recorded and edited and produced this for a video that was made available for people to see at the end of the course. Here again, students weren't just learning about history. They were learning about teamwork, about being on time, about how you deal with technology when it breaks down, about the importance of good communication because they had to work out, okay, who was going to film here and who was going to film now? And while they're filming, then we're, we're going to be back here rehearsing. Did everybody bring their props in? Did everybody come in with their costumes? So it required a lot of teamwork as well as it gave them an outlet for great creativity. Certainly, that was more difficult to grade than if I had just had them read through a book and then given them a standard test. But the point wasn't to give them a test. The point was to acquaint them with people and places in history and then to use that as a way for them to engage with history using their and building their own creativity and their confidence and the skills of working alongside other people. Certainly, I had my fair share of disasters or near disasters. One year when we were studying ancient history and we were studying about the ancient city of Babylon, which was such an amazing, impressive city for so long. And so students were divided up. And I think, yeah, we had the, the guys and then we had the girls and everybody had to contribute and they were going to build a model of a part of this ancient city of Babylon. And so the guys decided that they were going to build the Ishtar Gate. And they had these elaborate plans, which, which were phenomenal. I had to kind of scale them down a little bit because we didn't have all of the time in the world to be able to do this. And yeah, it turned out that even with the scaled down version, it took a lot more time, a lot more issues than what they thought. They learned about ceramic tile and how it fell off and, and how you had to cut it. And so, yes, it was messy. It was loud. It took a lot more work than if we had just sat down and just read a book or, or read through a textbook about ancient Babylon. But you know what was interesting? When they graduated a few years later, this was one of the things that they highlighted in their graduation talk that they gave. 
a lot of times when we teach history for younger students, we we recognize the value and the importance of bringing in the foods and the songs and the poetry and the costumes. And we think somehow that that ends with fifth grade or sixth grade. But the reality is that it needs to continue through all of K through 12. And with so many students that have great technology right there in their hand with their phone, not to mention their laptops and tablets, the world is open. I've heard of history classes where students interview people in their community, and then they create a documentary. And this isn't just some little thrown together five minute documentary. I mean, it is an impressive documentary. And then they put that on YouTube for all the world to be able to see. And they meet people in the community and history becomes alive to them. But even if you were covering something that isn't in modern enough history that people could be interviewed, You could still interview experts on different time periods in history. Students could still make movies and documentaries. Good grief, they could even make animated characters to bring history to life. They could create plays and put those on for, for younger students in the school. Have a history YouTube channel that your school sets up where students interview one another and they share about what they've learned. A friend of mine who's a phenomenal history teacher has her students go through a history fair every year. And what they do is they have a research question that they ask and they have to answer. And this isn't just a small two-week project, although you could certainly scale this down if you needed to. But students spend a year really diving in depth, researching a topic, and it has to be a question that they ask and that they answer and they give a presentation. Judges come in from the community, and they judge all of the students' presentations. They're also able to set their presentations up in the gym, and similar to the Night at the Museum, engage with people who come through and look at their posters and talk to them about the research that they conducted and the poster that they created. Are kids nervous? Sure. Does everybody line up with great excitement to do it? No. But again, everybody's on the same level. And not only do they learn how to do quality research and really dive in deep into a subject matter, they learn, again, how to engage with other people, how to speak articulately on a certain subject. And while this doesn't make up all of the components of the class, it's something that they work on alongside of other things that they are covering in the class. I'll guarantee you that 5, 10, 20 years from now, most of the students are going to look back and they're going to remember something about the research that they conducted and about that experience. I understand that this method of teaching history is going to take a lot more work in some respects than if you just go through a traditional textbook. We're going to cover these pages, answer these quiz questions. Okay, we're going to have a test at the end of every section. Okay, let's just move on to the next one. But our role as educators is not about getting through material, especially when the people who put it together have never actually taught it in the classroom in a real world way. It is about equipping students to know themselves, to understand themselves, to understand others, to understand human dynamics. And as Christian educators, to see 
the handwork of God throughout history in the lives of individuals and nations to be able to apply that to their own lives. So don't settle for what's, quote, normal, because again, normal doesn't mean healthy. Just because we get used to something being done a certain way doesn't mean it's effective. So be creative. This is one of those subject areas where you have the world at your fingertips, literally, and you can make it come alive, not just so students will say, oh, I like that subject, but so that they will become people of knowledge and wisdom that they can move forward in their adult life, making good decisions for themselves and being mindful of the interdependence that they have with other people, not just as individuals, but the role that we have as nations living in a global world. We're going to wrap up here for today. So again, if you haven't already, make sure to rate and review and then check out key3educators.com. Sign up for the Three Keys newsletter because there's only one insight or resource or idea that can solve a problem or make the difference between good, better, and best. And most of all, remember this because it is absolutely true for you as an educator. You have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for being with us today. For information on speaking engagements and resources for your school or family, visit the website key3educators.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.